Hi, it's Dr. Rod Story with Mere Medicine. Glad to be back again in the studio with Andrew Becker. Hello. Ah, there. He's uh, waking up. Uh, had, to, <laughs> had to catch his brain. He's, he hasn't had his coffee yet this morning. Just keep feeding him water. Uh, we're going to talk about first aid for families. Um, we talked last time about uh, sports injuries and sports uh, guidelines for for preparing it. Uh, you're, uh, you've been on a rescue squad. Yes, I've been an EMT for 13, almost 14 years. Uh, I've been a, a first aid and CPR instructor for um, a number of years now and, uh, and really enjoyed the, the, the work. It's great work. It is. It's great work. And, and, and I think it's uh, really a remarkable thing as a first aid responder when you come upon the scene of someone who knows what to do, what to get going. And so we're going to talk a bit about that because we want our families that are listening to us to be really well prepared for those first few moments when you can do the best thing mm-hmm. in caring for your family. I mean, uh, ambulance getting there, they're obviously going to take it, but um, response times are not always not always moments. Uh, right. Yep. They, they can be 10, 15 minutes, and that a yep. lot of life can go by in es- that moment. Especially in rural areas. You talk about Troy or Deary or... Or Viola, you're talking 15, 20 minutes. Uh, we're in North like Idaho, and we love living in Moscow, Idaho. But uh, definitely, if you're choosing to live in some of the rural areas, you need to be prepared to to take care of these things. Yeah, you know, I was just reading a, a list of common childhood injuries or locations, and and what was surprising is number one place for kids to get injured is home. Yes. Uh, man, sounds like a dangerous place. Maybe you should uh, stay at school full time. Why? What are we seeing at home that that uh, that makes for injuries in the home. Part of it is that's just where kids spend most of their time. Sure. They, they're just there. They're uh, adventurous. Kids uh, get into stuff. They like to explore. And sometimes exploration comes with uh, the, the discovery of a cliff or something. <laughs> or like if that. I go over to Andrew's house, I might get shot because his kids are always dressed like army troopers whenever I go there. Yes, thankfully it'll be a Nerf gun. Uh, yes, else. it might be an eye injury, but uh, <laughs> yeah. probably nothing more than that. Yeah, but home injuries are really common. And, and and you might think, as we talked about, the sports injuries and playground injuries are the most common. But I, I think that it, the home environment also tends to be more laid back in mm-hmm. how we approach sports. So we talked about that often, you know, coaches are looking out, uh, sports trainers are making sure that things are done safely. But in the home, mm-hmm. uh, my kids are often uh, trying to figure out how to how to jump uh, off of one uh, thing and onto the other. Yeah, wasn't it a, a treehouse to a trampoline? Ah, oh, you're going to point that out. Uh-huh. Yes, uh, and, and I will point out that my trampoline had a, a net all the way around it, which made it extra high that they had to jump over. Oh, my. Uh, or the, my son that, that injured his, uh, his upper arm, his humerus, and snapped it because his brother was a little impatient for getting out of the trampoline, so it gave him a little push uh-huh. as they were getting out. <laughs> so it wasn't the trampoline per much. se, and it wasn't. Uh, it wasn't, but it was the way that it was used. Okay. Um, I also think that it's it's commonly those wheels that our kids get on mm-hmm. that that give us some significant issues. I think that's where we see most injuries: uh, bicycle accidents, yeah. really, um, or rollerblades, roller blades, all the, all the crazy arms, yeah. uh, uh, hovercrafts that kids are. Am I using a word? I feel old now. Well, the, what are they called? They're they're the single wheel. The one wheels. Yeah. My son wants to buy one, and I said, uh, that's three grand, my son. You could maybe use that for college. 
Or a car. You get four <laughs> wheels for the price four of Four wheels for the price of one. I just can't understand it. Yeah, one wheel. Okay. Uh, well, and motor vehicle accidents. And, 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 and honestly, when we, when we round out the list of places that kids get injured, motor vehicle accidents are one of them. Um, and that's why there's such an emphasis on, on using proper car seats yeah, that really restraint. fit your kid. Uh, I don't know how we made it out of the 70s alive when we were bouncing around. It's amazing. I, I recall a road trip to South Dakota in our Volkswagen bus, and I was laying on a, <laughs> uh, laying above the engine. There was a little mattress pad up there, and I was sleeping up there as we were driving uh, through South Dakota. Uh, Mr. Becker, I can imagine that, that uh, Volkswagen bus only went 45. Only 45. So, uh, yeah, no. there, you can't get into too much trouble, although if you got hit by a semi, it would be a pancake. It, yeah. Water activities, um, mm-hmm. and, and uh, whether the bathtub or whether swimming, yeah. um, those are places where kids uh, need that supervision. Yeah, very um, much Particularly, so. I, I think, f- uh, when there's a lot of activity and, and a lot of parents enjoying mm-hmm. company, but nobody's really watching. That's when those challenges happening, especially in ground pools. Ah. having a good fence around them is kind of a, a good. Yeah, step uh, to every take. once in a while we read tra- tragic incidents where where that pond behind yeah. someone's house became a, a real trap. Well, let's let's jump into things that that a family who's listening to this can do, no matter whether mm-hmm. this is a home environment or they're out camping or whether they're they're uh, at the sports field with their kid or they're riding a bike uh, down a trail. Let's talk about what what can a parent do? I mean, obviously, I'm a physician. I was a Boy Scout. You were uh, a medic. You're a physician assistant. Like, we're, we're pretty skilled at, at taking care of things uh, at home. But I think it, a lot of, uh, of, of parents think, what do I do? Yeah. Um, what is the first thing they should do? Well, generally, the first thing to do is, if there's a bad injury, call 911. Okay, tell me, tell me why that first. Well, the, the the first thing to to think about, especially if you have uh, if you have two people who are there, say you you have a, two adults, yeah. have one of them call nine one one, and then have the other one start intervening. If it's say a bad cut or something like that, then maybe put some pressure on it first before calling nine one one. Okay, or trying to do it at the same time. Yeah, um, but <clears throat> the big thing is get emergency medical services en route early. Sure, uh, because a we have long distances to travel sometimes yes but b if they get there and they're not needed they'll just leave it's no inconvenience yeah, they no don't sweat doing it did that happen quite a bit while you're a medic yes, uh, you get there often. and things have resolved yes yep. and and do you guys scold people like nope bad no. bad people why'd you call us <laughs> no not even in the middle of the night when when we've rolled out of bed <laughs> for the third time somebody calls and you know what? I'm glad you called us. If there's any more problems, please call us back. Yeah, and, and you guys have ways of handling that if it becomes uh, someone who's using it inappropriately. But, but I know uh, my my gladness as an ER physician was that something got better while they were on the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was not uncommon that a mo- mom or dad would rush in with a croupy kid uh, that had an awful cough in the middle of the night, and then of course the night air and the coolness of the ride. Uh, just made that all better. And by the time they got to the emergency room, the, the kid was smiling and eating lollipops. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and that's actually a great place to be. Yeah. Uh, I'd much rather that than, than the opposite where, where someone stayed home or they didn't call and something went bad. But time is time. Is time time mm-hmm. goes by quick. It does. When I, um, and I learned this in running code um, exercises through the hospital, that it's surprising how hard it is to communicate well. Um, and, and I just was in a... Uh, in, uh, at the scene of a car accident where everybody was standing around and nobody 
uh, was taking the next move, which was to call 911. Yep. So I actually had to literally point to someone and, te- and tell them, call 911. Very good. And then I had them repeat back to me. Very good. What are you going to do? Call 911. Okay, call 911. And, and that needed to get the right people there uh, while, we were, while we were waiting for or whatever. That's a prime example of what we call the bystander effect. Ah, uh, it's, it's, uh, I think we all freeze, mm-hmm. um, and, and, and assume somebody else will take yes, responsibility. Exactly. So if you're in a, in a situation where you think there's an emergency going on first word to you would be get on the phone and, and have someone call. Yep. And thankfully cell phones make that pretty straightforward. Um, okay. Uh, you actually run a course called stop Stop the bleed. Stop the bleed. Yes. That sounds pretty straightforward. It is. Uh, tell me what that. What the, what are some of the essentials that that people listening here would say they can do at home? Number one, put pressure on it. Okay. Right? So if you see bleeding, get some gauze. Get it if it's if you're in the middle of nowhere and you don't have gauze, rip up a t-shirt or something, um, a paper towel, uh, something, and just sure. put pressure on the spot. Uh, what does pressure look like? It really does look like just literally putting pressure on it. So you take the piece of gauze, you put it in your palm, you take that palm palm piece of gauze, okay. and you put it on the wound, and you just push. Just push. Yep. Okay. What we're trying to do is we're trying to um, uh, allow for the blood to collect in that area okay. and form clots. Okay. Once clots form, and our bodies are a really amazing machine, it cl- forms clots surprisingly easily sure. once all of the tissue has been disrupted, and sometimes when it hasn't been. But... If you just give it some time to form those clots, you'll stop any potentially life-threatening bleeding, including um, even some arterial bleeding. Right? Okay. So if you, say, you um, nick an artery in your hand. And that's that, like, if you're watching the emergency medicine show, it's going squirt, yep. squirt, squirt. That's right. Okay. Um, so, so say you nick a, an artery in your hand, you can put pressure on that and allow for enough blood to coagulate around there and actually stop that artery. When we're talking pressure, are, are we talking like, you know, 30 seconds and then take a look again? What are we talking? You want five minutes. Wow. At least. That's hard to keep track of. It is. Now, again, you have your handy cell phone. So mm-hmm. say, hey, Siri, uh, set the timer five minutes. That's brilliant. I know. It's so brilliant. But like it's it. not my brilliance. It's the cell phone. Um, and it really is mindful that time goes really strangely slow and fast when these mm-hmm. emergency circumstances are going. Mm-hmm. And uh, you, you need to really take the time to let it go. When we do procedures uh, in the in the clinic, we really hold pressure for quite a long time because we know it takes time for that clot to build. Yep. Um, and it really takes time. What are some other measures that people might do if they if if that hand on it is still not doing it? The next thing that we would do is we would try to elevate that limb above their okay. heart. Uh, that does uh, in, uh, recruit gravity, the force of gravity to pull blood away from that spot and, and reduce the pressure behind okay. those clots and allow them to form a little bit better. And then if that's not working... We do think about early tourniquets now. Okay, what does a tourniquet look like? Uh, that seems like a like a scary term. It is. The uh, there are several different versions of it. Uh, a commercial tourniquet you can get for a few bucks on Amazon, and it's uh, basically any type of of um, cloth that will wrap around an, uh, uh, an arm or a leg. Okay, and then we'll have what's called a windlass. The windlass is the most important part okay. of a tourniquet, and that is a stick or something rigid that you that you put through the cloth and then you can turn that windlass and tighten that cloth all the way around the extremity to put pressure on the arteries and reduce the blood flow. Gotcha. If someone were to apply it, what does that look like? What should they be seeing downstream on that limb? What you're going to see is loss of the pulse. Right? Okay. So if you can feel somebody's radial pulse um, just to, on the on the thumb side of their arm and you can feel that, that little 
thump, thump, thump against your fingers. Okay. Once you get the tourniquet tightened down, that thumping against your fingers will go away because you're reducing sure. artery supply to the arm. And what you'll see at the wound site is that's going to stop spurting if it's a spurting injury, mm. um, or it's going to make the direct pressure that you've applied more effective and you're not going to bleed through your bandages anymore. Now, won't this, won't this potentially injure the rest of the limb downstream? Uh, so I will say the, the potential is yes, it okay. may. But, but uh, takes, what are we keeping in mind here? It takes hours. It takes hours for that injury to occur. We have at least two hours before uh, something like that will happen. Whoa, okay. So we're really talking something that's bleeding that you're worried I might have just a few minutes before mm -hmm. too much blood loss yeah. versus hours to create an injury that's not reversible to mm -hmm. that limb. That's right. Um, so something that you can do at home, surprisingly, and and would, a, would medics be saying, hey, glad that you got this going because it was wise. Yeah, especially if you're talking about something that's spurting. You can mm. um, one of the uh, one of the things that we think about is that you can bleed to death from an, from a from an artery wound in your arm in five minutes. Wow! And so getting getting that tourniquet on will potentially save a life. Okay. Well before police or fire or EMTs can get on scene. Uh, and and sometimes again we talked about that it takes a little bit of time for them to get there. So what you do at home. Can, can really mean the difference of saving a life or not. Yep. And so uh, really what, what we're talking about is something tight that can go around the leg and then something you can twist that so it yep. gets a little bit tighter. That's right. And that's a pretty simple thing to do. Yep. Uh, vers and continuing to put pressure on that spot that's as right. well. Okay, that, that makes sense. Any, any supplies that I should have at home as I'm thinking about how to be prepared for this? Well, I do recommend a commercial tourniquet. Okay. Um, buying one on, online is really a good idea because they're sometimes hard to improvise. And, and if you have one that's commercial and is already built, mm. you don't have to think about it. Okay. Which sometimes our brains don't think super quickly in sure. an emergency. And we sure. don't think about how we're, we're going to do what we need to do. So a commercial tourniquet is one thing. Okay. Um, having some, um, some what we call hemostatic powder or gauze. Oh, wow. That might be of help as well. Okay. Is that something you, that people can buy? Yes, it is. Okay. Yeah, you can buy it on Amazon. Is, the, is there a particular um, search term that people should use? Uh, he hemostatic gauze is one, or just the brand name. One of the brand names is Celox, C-E-L-O-X. Okay. Celox gauze. And that's just a powder, I think, that you can dump in the wound, right? Yeah, and, with the powder. And you get big wads of gauze, which you can buy, again, really cheap, and mm -hmm. just pack that in. And yep. um, it's nice to have... Um, some Coban would be the the mm -hmm. term. Uh, what, there's a vet wrapper. Vet wrap. Yeah. Uh, basically, an expansive um, stretch wrap that you can mm -hmm. wrap around that adheres to itself. Those things are nice to have some at home because we, mm -hmm. we talked about that a lot of your injuries happen at home. Mm -hmm. Some in your car. So mm -hmm. that if you happen upon a scene where you might be the first person or camping, I think, yes. man, in Idaho, we got so many opportunities to camp. And you might you might be a ways away from yeah. someone. I mean, if, especially if you're a hunter. Think about that one as well. Right? Ah, very All good. Hunters are. Or, you know, they, yeah. I mean, there are sharp things around there all the time. You're hiking, you could trip, accidentally cut yourself that way. It's, it's absolutely surprisingly, and easy. you're a ways out, so it'd be nice to take care of something. I'm glad to have that skill as a Boy Scout, but you can be a Boy Scout too. That's right. Always uh, although maybe not the Boy Scouts of today. Uh, CPR. Let's yes. talk about that. CPR sounds like one of those like, oh man, you got to be professional to do that. But so many things, so many recommendations have changed about CPR. Is there is there one part of CPR when that that's a shorthand for cardiopulmonary resuscitation, mm -hmm. meaning heart, lung, getting it restarted? That's right. That 
someone can do at home that might make all the difference? As it turns out, yes. One of the things that we have realized is that chest compressions only, if you just learn how to do chest compressions, you're going to have a potential to, to buy enough time to save a person's life. Okay. So a chest compression, give me some guidelines uh, about what that looks like. So the first thing you got to do is make sure they're on a hard and flat surface. Okay. Right? They're face up on a hard and flat surface so that you can provide adequate compression against something. So not like a bed. Right. If you're in a bed, you're not going to squeeze the heart the way that you need to. Okay. Hard floor. Yep. Countertop. Yep. Somewhere, somewhere hard. Okay. Hard and flat surface. And the next thing you need to do is identify where you should put your hands. And that is in the midline of the chest along the nipple line. Okay. Okay. So put the palm of your hand right there. You put the other hand on top of that one. Is that over what we call the breastbone? The breastbone. Okay. Yep. And then you want to push, on average, to a depth of one and a half to two inches, shooting for two inches for adults, and you just want to push down two inches. That's a long ways. It is. Okay. And it will get fatiguing after a while. Okay. So, um, even, uh, even for most people, like yeah. Uh, professionals? Yeah, yeah. What the, uh, um, the rule of thumb is every two minutes we're going to switch. But from, okay. From a professional standpoint, we know that after two minutes, my chest compressions, even though I've done a million of them, aren't going to be as good as they were two minutes ago. And so somebody else should come in who's fresh. Um, and then give me and give me a break. Well, I know that for bystander CPR, uh, they're now talking about just just push hard yep. and deep. Yep. Like don't even think two inches. Just just go for it. I think that's pretty reasonable. Uh, and that seems to be simple. What um, talk to me about like how fast? Yeah. The the rate is we're shooting for about a hundred, hundred and hundred to one hundred and twenty beats per minute. Okay, normal is what sixty to mm-hmm. seventy beats per minute. So that's yeah. quite a bit faster. Quite a bit faster. But you got to remember, we're only pushing out a fraction of the blood. Okay. Right. So instead of our heart pushing out 50, 60 cc's, we're only pushing maybe 20 or 30. Because the idea is you're trying to trying to squeeze the chest deep enough to be moving the heart a bit. That's almost. right. But that's that you got a lot of tissue there yep. that you're having to move. Yep. Um, and that's certainly not as effective as the heart beating itself. Right. But one of the things that you can do to help keep your keep uh, the rate in mind is to sing a song. Okay, got right. one in mind. The best one is "Staying Alive" by the Bee Gees. Uh, now, if you're um, if you're maybe not a Bee Gees fan like I am, I tend to think uh, old timey hymns. There's a good Baptist one. My hope is built on nothing less. And I think if you sing it like a like a good Presbyterian, you'll actually do it at a nice speed. So. Perfect. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's kind of a funny thing, a Presbyterian singing an old Baptist hymn, but here we go. I'll, I'll leave that for you folks to come up with your favorite tune. But yeah. uh, if, if in that moment all you can think is BG, staying alive, staying alive, you, you've got the right term. Yep. Will I hurt someone who has a pulse But uh, by doing CPR? Will I, will I stop their heart? No. Okay, that's good to know. Yep, you will not hurt them. The only thing that's going to happen to somebody who you do CPR on is you're going to hurt their ribs a little. Okay. Right. You might break a rib. Um, and in fact, if you're pushing hard enough, you should feel the pop. You okay. should hear it. Um, and that's normal and that's okay. Okay. But the good news is our chest was made to compress a little bit. And so the ribs, naturally, unless there's an outside force on the, on the sides, they'll pop outwards. So you're not going to. You're not going to puncture anything. You're not going to damage anything. Okay, and and better to break a rib than mm-hmm. to die of a right. heart heart that stopped. Right. And if the guy wakes up and punches you because ow, stop doing that. Well, you've you've actually probably don't need to do CPR. Probably at that not anymore. anymore. Yep. Um, One of the things that I tell my students though to remember is if they uh, if they look at somebody and it looks like they're not breathing and they think they need to do CPR, well, in that situation, generally the person's dead and they can't get more dead. Okay. So. We have a chance at helping them stay, they're helping their brain stay alive long enough to get a shock from an AED or from EMTs to provide more medication or something to bring them back. So how soon 
should a person start CPR? Okay, you find someone, mm -hmm. they're down, you give them a shake, and they're like not responding. Right. You start CPR. I mean, do you have a few minutes to check a pulse, uh, call an ambulance? Like, yeah. how, how urgent is this? The, you want to start right away, hmm. as soon as you can. Typically, the, for the average person who has an average brain, average health, you have about four minutes between the time that your heart stops beating to the time your brain is permanently and irreparably wow. damaged. Wow. And so you don't have a lot of time. Wow. And so if you come upon somebody and you don't know how long they've been down or you see that they have just gone down, um, you, you know, okay, that's when my clock starts. Mm -hmm. But if you find them, you don't know how long they've been down. So the best thing is to start right away if you can. If you're by yourself, then the recommendation is to go call 911. Find a phone. If you got a cell phone, yep. call 911, put it on speakerphone. Okay. Uh, but you want to start compressions as soon as you can. Okay. And, and, and we didn't talk about breathing. I know mm -hmm. people get the willies thinking about locking lips with someone that's been yes. down, but it sounds like that's actually not as important as it, as it used to be thought. No, it's not. The only times that that's really important are pediatrics. Okay. Right? And we think about that for kids. It is a little more important for kids, but honestly, remember when you're squeezing somebody's chest, the chest has a, some elasticity to it, so it'll rebound. Mm. And when it rebounds, it's going to suck some air in Okay, naturally. So you get a little bit of passive air exchange with every single compression. And there's a lot do. of air that still hangs out. Your body's amazingly yep. good at, at magnetizing itself and pulling as much oxygen out yep. of what sits around your lungs. So, so if we were going to encourage you and leave you with one thing, get on the chest, get doing those yep. hard, deep compressions. Yep. Don't wait. Um, you really have a very short time to get that going. It actually, I was in the emergency room and we used to look at some data that takes almost a minute for those compressions to actually become almost uh, effective at, yep. at circulating things. So it's not like even the first few get things pumping. It takes a while to build that. That's and, correct. And you want to keep going without any interruption mm -hmm. uh, as long as you can. And, and hopefully you've called the ambulance and, and gotten them on the way. And, and then if it, if it is a kid, that, that's a great caveat because... Uh, a lot of collapses for kids are are respiratory. They're yes. lung issues. Yep. They're not heart issues. Most of them are. Heart issues are very are much more common in adults, mm -hmm. and in kids, it's often more respiratory. That, yeah. That's a great segue because we're gonna, let's finish by talking about about choking. Yeah. How do I take care of choking? Is that something I can get, I can get a little information here on the on the podcast and yes. people can actually take care of? There will be a link to a video. Oh, cool! Videos are always videos helpful. are great. So check that out at the end of this. But give me some some things. Let's let's start off with adults. Yeah. So somebody tells somebody looks like they're choking. They're uh, they're making some sounds, right? Say they're you, you hear them trying to cough something out, and they and they're making some noise. If they're coughing, try to let them cough it out. Okay. Okay. If you can hear them making noise, that means there's air moving. That's good. But when they stop making noise and they do the universal choking sign with their hands to their throat, okay, then it's time to intervene. Ah, uh, sign language. I like that. It's great. So you get behind them. You put your right hand or your dominant hand in a fist just above their belly button. Okay. Okay. You grab your, that hand with your other hand, and then you, you want to push upward and backward, almost like you're trying to lift them up off the floor. Okay. okay? You want to do that repeatedly and treating each individual thrust as though it's trying to move that object a little bit further out of their airway. Okay. And Lord willing, it will dislodge the object and they'll start breathing on their own. And this is like CPR where you're basically going hard and hard. good. You're not yep. like uh, a little chest massage or mm -hmm. a belly button rub. We're talking yep. heave that wrist deep into their diaphragm and push yep. with all you got. That's right. Yep. And uh, if they... If you are successful, that's wonderful. But if they're if you're not successful, eventually they become 
unresponsive. Okay. And so you want to be careful, lower them to the floor, uh, not be careful not to get, you know, bowled over sure. by their weight, but lower them to the floor. And then you start the same chest compressions like we were just talking about okay. for, for CPR. And the call in the 911. Yep. Yeah, go right back to some of the other basics, things that, that we've talked about um, by getting them on the floor there. How about kids? Is there something that we can teach people to do with kids? It's essentially the same. Okay. Yeah, for anybody who is who is toddler or smaller, right, little kids, we want to do a little bit of a different um, okay. approach. And that's back we call them back blows. Okay. So you, you put somebody face down on your forearm or on your leg and you whack their back. Okay. okay? And you want them face down if possible because that helps gravity to um, precipitate that that object out of their airway. Well, and as I often say, kids come with a lot of handles. Uh, they've come with arms and, and, and legs. And so there's things to grab onto. But basically, if you, if you can imagine this, it's kind of like a football hold for mm-hmm. a kid, but you're flipping them over and you're leaning them down with their face towards the ground and you're literally kind of giving them a good blow between yep. the shoulder blades with you, with the palm of your hand. That's right. Wham, wham. And, and I mean, obviously, we're doing something that we're trying to save a life here. Yes. We're, we're not we're not disciplining a kid or or patting them on the back, um, and we're really doing something to kind of take care of something right away. That's right. Um, yep. So be- better to do something than mm-hmm. nothing at all. That's right. Okay. Yep. And um, and then if uh, we often say. If the same same thing, if if they become unresponsive, then you put them on the ground and you start CPR. Start like CPR. So at least you're supporting the heart yep. while that ambulance is on its way, and they yep. can come kind of help jump in and take care of things from there. Yep. Sounds like great tips. I, I I these are the most common things that I can honestly think about. And I had a I had a dad stop me in church uh, a couple of weeks ago and say, "Man, I, I really would love to to know how to take care of these things. I feel like as a dad, I've I have this career as a musician." I'm really good at that, but I feel like I don't have the skills to handle these things or take care of them. And I, and I thought about it. Uh, you know, should I have? Should we have a course at our clinic? Should we? Should we maybe teach uh, full-on CPR? Mm-hmm. And I think there is a role for that. So if you are interested, there are great courses through the yep. Red Cross. Most local hospitals and clinics offer those. Yep. You have had a CPR class with your with your students here yes. at yeah at the school yeah. Um, we've done uh, we've done a summer camp CPR class for some other students, um, and uh, I'm you know, teaching at local businesses. I'm doing a CPR refresher for the staff, and uh, and you're doing uh, those uh, stop the bleed courses for your well. school, your yep. uh, for your your church where you're a deacon, mm-hmm. um, and I know you've done that for uh, King's Cross where I go to church, yep. uh, where we're we're doing seminars so that those active responders, those security guys, also have some of these skills. Yep. And I encourage you if you're if you're um, part of a church, part of a school. Or just uh, a loving father, loving mother, mother that wants to know more about these things. Um, there, the things that we talked about today are the are the main things. The call early, put pressure on it. Consider having a tourniquet and other supplies around. Yeah. Do the chest compressions deep and fast. Think staying alive. Mm-hmm. Um, learn some maneuvers and 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 Google or watch YouTube. Uh, uh, about how to do the Heimlich maneuver or how to effectively do back blows for a kid. You, these are the bread and butter of first aid and, and things that will do a great, the great, great, great gift in the time that people need it. Yes. Um, anything else you want to add? Um, no, just I think we're going to post some of the links for these uh, these videos. Um, and uh, one of the links that I think can be helpful is uh, stopthebleed.org. Um, there's an online version of the class, so you can mm. just take it right from home, get some information that way. Excellent. Well, thanks so much for joining us on Mirror Medicine. And Andrew Becker, glad to have you in the studio. And thanks for letting me pick your brain here. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure. Have a great day, folks.